Um, I've been excited, and I, let me just say that I I so appreciate Paul and David and Trent stepping in last week. I felt bad I had to cancel out, but there just was no way I could uh, kind of go through. So they did a they did an introduction to the introduction, and <laughs> they did an excellent job as well. So uh, thank you guys for stepping in and and doing that. Uh, it's always beneficial, isn't it, just to take time and read through the narrative first. And uh, actually, this morning, I would like to slow that narrative down. And uh, let's let's kind of let's stop and pause and say, what was that really like? Let's let's stop and think about if you and I were there as we um, as we look at this uh, summer um, study on the life of Paul. Uh, one of my fears is is that we don't want to lift up a man. And um, I think if our brother uh, Apostle Paul was sitting in our midst, um, I think he would say this to us. And I, I want to read some verses in Philippians chapter 3, just to start us off. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 7. These are uh, all familiar verses to us. And so Paul would say, what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I know if our brother Paul was sitting here, we would probably, if he walked in, we would probably uh, see this guy and go, what? Like you're Paul? Like we picture this big giant, right? And uh, we're going to see that, you know what? God just used a, a common uh, a man, and he definitely prepared a man uh, for his message. But, um, you know, by no means do we want to lift up a man uh, during this study. And uh, as I thought about, um, <clears throat> as I thought about uh, what we can learn um, as I look at the, in, in the number of months here, been looking at the life of Paul, I think it really encourages me to see how God uses a life that's submitted to him for his glory. And as you and I just kind of delve into Paul's life, and we recognize that, you know what, Paul was living life on life. He was going through life just as you and I after day by day. And uh, in in the midst of all that, you know, he had those times where he had to submit, daily submitting to God, daily submitting to that suffering that God said that he would be called into. 
And uh, you and I get to look at that. We get to, to look into the life of Paul. Um, <clears throat> following the life of Paul and, and the mystery revealed to him helps us to understand how Christ started the church. And uh, though we're not really going to go through and, and look at ecclesiology through the, through the uh, book of Acts, we see that, you know, Christ was committed to his church. And I think it's really important for you and I to, to understand that everything up into chapter 9 of Acts, everything was Jewish. And uh, it's sometimes hard for us to comprehend, you know, the whole transition that was taking place there. And the massive shift that needed to take place for, you know, Judaism to really understand uh, who this Christ was and this whole introduction of this uh, dispensation of the church that Christ was ushering in and how he selected a man, a man, uh, Paul, uh, for his choosing, a person that you and I would say, no way, no way under the sun it could be somebody like Paul. And yet that was the person that God chose. And uh, I think we'll be inspired by the faithfulness of Paul, um, his zeal, as we'll find out. We'll gain an understanding of when and where Paul uh, wrote his different letters and, uh, you know, the context of some of that. And uh, I think that'll better help us to understand, you know, the New Testament letters uh, that we wrote. Uh, I'm going to try to share my screen here. <clears throat> Can you see that okay? Let me go here. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if you're hearing or what you're seeing, but I'm going to go anticipating that you are. And um, this will be the lessons as we uh, have them laid out this summer. If there are, uh, if there are uh Sessions that still need to be covered, I'd encourage you just to get with one of the elders and they can help you. And so I actually have a, a big uh, a, a kind of a chart of the life of Paul. Of course, you can't see much there, and that wasn't my intent. But I have printed it out, and I'll pass it to David, and uh, it's about nine feet long. You could uh, post it somewhere uh, in the chapel. So as we work through... On the chart, you'll see I made some attempts at putting um, just some dates down. And, uh, you know, we could have a lot of discussion regarding the dates. But, um, you know, after all the studying, I tried to kind of pick in the middle. And so you'll see that we're starting the life of Saul about 5 AD. And, um, you know, uh, we'll look at the different aspects. But as those different teachers that are teaching on the life of Paul, they can choose to select this chart. It'll walk us right on through. Uh, we'll get into, you know, different maps, get into the uh, different uh, three different missionary journeys. And, uh, you know, I think even next week, Dan may be talking about the council in chapter uh, in chapter 14, 15. We'll talk, take a look at those. We have the second missionary journey. Those will be broken down into specific uh, sections because there's quite a bit to cover. And then you'll see these uh, little icons with uh, kind of like a, a scroll with a feather there. Those will be the different books when Paul uh, had written those letters. 
You have the third missionary journey. You have uh, the different visits at Corinth, the councils, the arrest, and up until the end of his uh, life, his couple years of uh, of uh, release, and uh, his letters to Timothy and Titus, which we know to be his last letters. And so we'll walk through all that whole journey uh, with Paul. Um, the lesson I have this morning is uh, just Paul's conversion. Stop uh, sharing my begin. Did we see anything? <laughs> okay, uh, good. Um, I want us to Paul Paul Irvin yesterday in Trenton or last week. They they read this section in Acts chapter. I don't think you read chapter six. I think you were in eight and nine. But I want us to go to uh, the first introduction that we see of the Apostle Paul, and that would be in Acts chapter, actually what I believe would be Acts chapter 6. And uh, of course, we have the story of Stephen, and um, we know that the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Hellenistic Jews, etc., there was some complaints regarding the widows. The elder said, you know what? We cannot pull ourselves away from the teaching of God's word and prayer. You get a really good summation as far as the responsibility of elders there. And so we see that Stephen was recognized as a, as a mature, godly man. And uh, Stephen was out speaking. And uh, in verse 9, as 8 and 9 of chapters, uh, Acts chapter 6, it says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there were some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen, the Syrians, the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. Now, the reason I want us to slow down that narrative is because these would have been areas where Paul would have been, Paul would have been in these synagogues. And um, and if we think of Paul as a young man, we know that he was uh, tutored <clears throat> under Gamaliel. You could see this young guy, extremely educated, uh, high class, as we're going to see. And uh, here's this Stephen going around speaking in these synagogues. So I, I want you to picture a young person, a young man, full of zeal. And and I want you to picture a, a, a not being able to refute the wisdom of Stephen, because that's what it says. It says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So I think you can see the anger, the passion that would have been. I can see it. I, I've been with young guys that, you know, they're starting their theological journey, and they're so eager to jump into a debate, right? And uh, they're going to prove their point. But yet here it says, because of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that Stephen had, that you know what? I believe even as Paul was there, he didn't have any talk. There wasn't anything he could do to refute this guy. And, uh, you know, how, mu how it must have cut him. You know, how it must have hurt his pride. He had all this education. And uh, he even says, and we're going to look at the record of how he... Uh, how he could debate with the greatest of them, but yet not in this case, because the Holy Spirit was doing the work. You know what tremendous hope you and I have as we hold this incredible message, the gospel, and, and where Christ says, listen, you guys, when I send you out, 
don't be worried. The Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll give you the things that you need to say. We see this as an example in Stephen's life. But again, as we slow the narrative down and say, hey, let's consider that. Consider what was taking place there. You know, how at this point, how vicious Paul had become. And uh, man, his reputation went before him. People didn't want to be by him. They were they, they feared him. And he had the letter, as we know, from the priest. And he was moving up uh, towards uh, Damascus. And he was going with an intent to grab the Jews up there uh, that were following Christ and bring him back to Jerusalem. And then I want us to slow the narrative down a little bit about the stoning. And uh, because I think uh, we miss the impact that that stoning would have had on any one of us if if uh, any one of us that would witness a capital capital punishment or someone's losing their life, we know that that would have a tremendous impact on us, right? And um, I think with the narrative, it's, it's really hard to determine, did uh, Paul actually pick up stones and throw them? I personally feel like he didn't. Um, you know, the culture, the, the uh, tradition of those days where uh, you know, he was accused of blasphemy, and they had their witnesses to accuse him. And those witnesses would have been the ones responsible to grab Stephen, and it said that he drug him out of the, the city. And typically in a stoning, there would they would actually handcuff the victim, and then they would throw, the, throw them over like a 10 or 12 foot cliff if, if there was one available. In Jerusalem, there would have been because this was something that took place more often. And, and they would have thrown Stephen's body over there. And, and Paul would have been, Saul would have been a witness to that. And so here he knew that this, this young man that he could not refute. And that Stephen so clearly laid out who Christ was and all through the Jewish history. And uh all the scholars sat there, and nobody could refute him. So in their anger, they grab Stephen, pull him out. They throw his body over this cliff. And then the method of stoning would have been that, that you know, that those, again, uh, that picked up big stones, not, not little ones, but bigger ones, and they would have cast them down on Stephen's body. And, uh, we know that there was, Saul was there, and uh, those that needed to shed their cloaks to do the a killing of Stephen, they would have taken their robes off and set it by by Saul. And we, we know all those stories. You can't get away from the impact. And then the testimony of Stephen, again, witnessing, there I see Christ sitting at the right hand of God. Uh, Saul would have witnessed all these things. So let's talk a little bit about what do we know of, of Paul before salvation? And uh, if we were only to read Acts chapter 9 and 10 and gain a whole lot, we gain little bits and pieces. However, we have a record of, you know, even Paul giving his own testimony. There's a record in Philippians. There's a record in Galatians. There's a record in Corinthians. All these different letters that he wrote were able to extract that information and uh, with that information, then we can kind of piece together, okay, uh, who was this guy, Paul? So let's just list at some things here. I'm not showing my screen. I'm just going to read through. But we know that uh, Paul was born in Tarsus. Now, this is really important because Tarsus was a city 
that did not have to pay taxes. And uh, the the uh, the landowners and uh, you know the the people there, citizens of Rome, and that is extremely important. And uh, it gives them a lot of privileges. It um, one of the greatest privileges that they had, of course, was they didn't have to pay taxes. I mean, imagine that, right? Imagine you going home and you're not having to pay, pay any property tax. Uh, nothing on your house, no kind of sales tax, and uh, the privilege that they would have had, um, the class of education that they would have been privy to. And uh, in the judicial system, they could require what court that they wanted. And the court for the higher class, you were assumed innocent and not guilty as compared to the lower kind of caste court where you were actually viewed as guilty and uh, you just kind of went through the process. And you and I know as we read through the account and acts that there was times when the Apostle Paul, he pulled that trump card out, didn't he? Uh, he said, uh, is it law for you guys to beat a Roman citizen? And I tell you that the uh, guards were shook because they knew that was in a serious violation of the law. And so Paul had clout. Paul had a, a, a social standing. He had uh, a, a very high education. He states that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He was a Pharisee like his father. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, he calls himself of the people of Israel. He identifies with the tribe of Benjamin. His name Saul. Saul. Saul being his Hebrew name and Paul being his Roman name. At his conversion, he did not take, you know, he didn't receive a new name. He just started using his Paul. He says that with respect to the law, he was faultless. And he doesn't say that he was sinless, but he says he was faultless. And, uh, you know, I think in Nicodemus in John chapter, what is it, uh, 3, and uh, where you have Nicodemus was the very best that the law could mean. He was a, Nicodemus would be another one that would say, you know what, as far as keeping of the law, I'm, I'm faultless. And so Paul, given his own testimony, and with integrity, I believe with integrity of heart, Paul said, you know what, I'm faultless. When it comes to keeping of the law, guys, I'm it. And, uh, so he was a prime example of what a righteous Jew would look like. We already talked about that he was educated by a respected rabbi named Acts 22. His zeal, he says, was unmatched. And uh, he hated the followers of the way or the of Jesus. And his, uh, <clears throat> you know, Paul was well known as a persecuted Christian cause. And they feared him, responsible for many people being thrown into a jail and some actually. And so all this, uh, it helps us to understand, again, uh, who Paul was. <clears throat> so um, I want to talk about this. We're going to talk some of, of the terms that we're going to, we're going to see them mentioned frequently in the book of Acts. And um, I want to talk a little bit about a Pharisee. Like, who is a Pharisee? Now, you know, when I hear Pharisee, I think uh, it's just some righteous person self-righteous person that, that uh, you know, maybe it's the law more dogmatic than somebody else. But um, the Pharisees actually rose to prominence 
in what scholars called the second temple period. And you'll remember the Babylonians destroyed the temple in seven, uh, I'm sorry, 587 BC. And uh, the time after the Jews returned from the exile uh, is known as the second temple period. And uh, what had happened during that time was that the Gentiles were constantly encroaching upon the Jewish people, their customs and their religion. And so the Pharisees come, came up within that group, and uh, they set out to preserve the Jews from this perceived threat. And so uh, when you think of a Pharisee, who, who uh, Paul says that he was a Pharisee, they were very zealous for the law of Moses, and they saw themselves as a guardian of actually oral traditions. And this is really important. Because what they did was they interpreted the law of Moses. And so there was, there was a lot of authority that the Pharisees had. I'll give you an example. Uh, everybody knew that you couldn't work on the Sabbath. But then they were like, okay, we don't understand, like, what is work and what is not work? So how far can we walk on the Sabbath? Like, when would we violate the Sabbath and work? And so what they came up with was 2,000 steps. If you walk over 2,000 steps, then you violated the Sabbath. Now, how did they arrive at that? Well, you remember the Ark of the Covenant, when when the, the priest took the Ark of the Covenant out, what did God tell them? Stay 2,000 steps between. So see, subjectively, they just pulled 2,000 out, two, it's about two-thirds of a 2,000 cubits is about two-thirds of a mile. And so they wrote that down. It became oral tradition. It had to be kept. And uh, if you walk more than two-thirds of a mile, then you violated the Sabbath. And so this is what the Pharisees did. They constantly were interpreting. So the lists go on and on and on and on and on. And so this is what Paul had dedicated his life to was the oral traditions. And this is what the Pharisees were all about. Let me talk a little bit more about uh, Pharisees. That, uh, you know, it actually means that they were separatist. And so they saw themselves as holier. They saw themselves as the authorities of interpreting the law of Moses. You know, the Pharisees could be the chief uh, priests, they could be scribes, they could be elders. And, uh, actually, there were around 6,000 of them. Strict obedience and observance to the ceremonial rules of, to the law and the oral law taught total avoidance of Gentiles. And it's interesting that God would call somebody like Paul to give the gospel uh, to the uh, Gentiles. Another important point as we talk about the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and the Sanhedrin is that the relationship with Rome, um, the Pharisees did not like Rome. Uh, they did not like having Gentiles rule over them and uh, looking, uh, and they did look forward to the promise of a coming king, but of course, they rejected the Messiah. And uh, another thing that we're going to here and is is about the Sadducees. So who were the Sadducees? And uh, this name is actually derived from a high priest in Solomon's time. 
And uh, it had their their focus, while the Pharisees focused a lot more on the synagogues, the Sadducees focused more in the temple. And uh, so, you know, they it was a lesser party in number, but they held on to old power. And, uh, you know, the Sadducees were very, very interested and in holding power was important to them. And so they compromised much with the Roman Empire. At times, it was the Roman Empire that set the priest in, in, uh, in these positions, the priest and the kings. They were basically just puppets controlling. And so we also know that the Sadducees did not accept uh, uh, the resurrection. And so... Um, you know, when we hear of Sadducees and we see the tension, uh, the point I want to bring up was, you know, even within uh, Judaism, there was a lot of tension between these di- different factions. Uh, then you hear of the scribes. The scribes were not just those that recorded, but they could be lawyers. Uh, they were teachers. Um, they could come from a lot of different backgrounds. And uh, they preached in the synagogues, in the temple. A lot of times uh, students would be at their feet. And they did not appreciate that Rome could actually overthrow their decision. So again, while people put up with Rome, uh, they did not like it. And then, of course, the last one that we hear about is the Sanhedrin. And of course, this was the Jewish Senate. And uh, there was actually the higher Sanhedrin, and then there was a lower, uh, some of the local courts. Uh, The higher court could always overrule the lower court. And so we know that as far as the uh, main Sanhedrin, you look at a picture of the temple, uh, Herod's temple, you you, you see where the Sanhedrin met. And, uh, you know, they carried a lot of authority. And the Sanhedrin, of course, would be made up of, of Pharisees and Sadducees and, you know, different ones. And so you know, seven, 71 members. And so when we read all that, we recognize that that was Paul's life. Paul was deeply, deeply into protecting of the oral tradition, speaking into of this um, maintaining uh, Moses law and of course the rejection of Christ as the Messiah. Um, in, um, in Acts 26, 14, let's take a look at that. And, uh, we're going to see later on how many times that Paul actually tells his testimony. But in this particular case, I want us to read because this is, this is, uh, there's one phrase in here that's not mentioned early on in the book of Acts. It said, and, and Paul's given an account, and he says, and when we had all fallen to the ground, Acts twenty six fourteen, he says, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goad. And uh, <clears throat> the reason I want to bring that out is, Again, for us to slow the narrative down, for us to realize that, you know what, the Holy Spirit was doing something in the life of Paul. And um, I think through Stephen's testimony, I personally think through the testimony of those that um, Saul was persecuting, I believe that the Holy Spirit was, was putting a nag in there. 
and uh, you know the the uh, this proverb, this agricultural uh, proverb, where an animal is kicking against the goad. And uh, you know we've all seen pictures of a, a farmer just trying to lead a cattle, and that that little that rascal will not go where he wants it to go. So he has a long stick with a sharp point, and he starts jabbing. And uh, and sometimes that animal will just rebel and kick hard against it, and of course it does more more damage to itself. And the Lord's saying, uh, Saul, why are you persecuting? It's hard for you. Just that aggressive kind of defiant temperament. And, um, you know, I, I want us to, to go to Romans chapter 10, and let's read some verses there. We're, we'll be familiar with these, but uh, it helps us to understand the state of Paul. Romans 10, uh, 1, it says, Brethren, my heart desires and praise to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness <clears throat> have not submitted is that kicking, the kicking against. For Christ is the end of the law of, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Then go to uh, verse uh, 21 in chapter 10. And to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. Romans 11, verse 8, it says, As it is written, God has given them spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. I don't know if you would want to take any time, but if you spend some time on YouTube and look up some of the prominent rabbis and look what they still have to say about Christ. I mean, it is unbelievable blindness, ejection of Christ. Even now I hear that there are more more Jews that are coming to Christ during these end days. And that, that may be just amazing, the blindness. And, and that was Paul. That was the blindness that we were talking about was Paul's blindness. And Christ met him just before he was about to enter Damascus. I think it's very, uh, very important that Saul was struck with blindness. It helps us to understand the spiritual blindness that he had. And yet, um, incredible salvation that uh, God had provided. So, So what do we know of Paul immediately after salvation? And uh, we know that uh, Paul uh, Irvin uh, read the chapter last week, and uh, we know that uh, Ananias was sent uh, by Christ to <laughs> to meet with uh, Paul, and, um, and uh, just uh, Paul's acceptance of a Christ at that time. But uh, <clears throat> You know, it's, it says that Paul fasted and prayed for three days, and he didn't drink. And, uh, you know, it was during that time that, uh, of course, Ananias was sent to him. And uh, he ate and gave his, and regained his strength. And, uh, and then it, it says immediately that he goes to the synagogue to testify that Jesus is God. And uh, you can imagine, you know, word had gone out. Word had gone out that Paul the persecutor was coming. And uh, now here Paul is, 
going to the same synagogues and saying, hey, uh, Christ is the Messiah. And uh, this uh, term, it's only used in that this time in the book of Acts and in uh, Acts chapter nine, it says immediately Paul preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. And so I think it's important for us to realize that what is it? What decision was it that Paul came to? And of course, he came to recognize Christ as the Messiah, as deity, as son of God. It looks like my time is going as well as my voice. So, uh, you know, let me just uh, finish a little bit of the narrative is that, <laughs> of course, the Jews uh, went after Paul. And, uh, and then we see that God set Paul aside for three years in Arabia. <clears throat> to give him, uh, you know, the mystery uh, to Gentiles coming to Christ and, and becoming. My voice is, is leaving me, and uh, thank you.